Amen. Go ahead and please be seated. Let me put this thing here. I don't know how I got this, but nonetheless, <laughs> that was part of the cup. So nonetheless, it's not something I walk around with wherever I go. But nonetheless, good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Sunday morning worship service. Uh, if you're visiting with us online, great that you can tune in to be able to uh, worship with us here this morning. Uh, Dave, I want to thank you for centering our hearts and our minds around the communion. And I did want to say that I do still think of you as a rock star. Uh, so even though there was a change in paths, still think of you as a rock star and all that you do bring to the congregation. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and clap. Amen. <laughs> so as, um, as mentioned, uh, we've been doing a three-year journey examining God's story. And of course, we've been starting off talking about Yahweh with the people. Uh, of course, uh, we've been looking at different aspects about God. We've been looking at uh, the character of God. We've been talking about how God made something out of nothing. And how God turns chaos into order. You know, because sometimes, even think about our own lives personally, uh, sometimes there's chaos. And as we're going to see in Joseph's life, Joseph had some chaos happening in his life. But yet God still worked through this chaos. But also we've also seen how God works through imperfect people, unfavorable situations, struggles to accomplish great things. And last week Tony talked about the faithfulness of God. So today we're going to continue talking about God's story. But we're going to see how Joseph fit into God's story. And see what lessons that we can learn from Joseph and God's dynamic. So the title of today's lesson, as you see, I think it's there, but nonetheless, it's that God was with him. Because what's important to understand, that although this is, we're going to look at the character of Joseph, Joseph's not the main character in the story. That God is the main character in this story. And many of us are familiar probably with the Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Of course, it's a musical about Joseph that we're going to be talking about here. But when we examine the, the lifestyle of Joseph, we see God's fingerprint all over his life. That God was there through his struggles. And we can take comfort, God's there through our struggles. God worked through his struggles to produce something great. And sometimes we have no idea what's happening in our life. When we're going through struggles, when we have unfavorable circumstances. But I do believe that God works to produce something great. Which leads me to why I brought this up here in the first place. You notice that this is a mug uh, that uh, my wife, at the back there, my wife Karen of 27 years plus. Amen to that. Come here, go ahead and clap. I'm a lucky guy, I know that. But, uh, so her and a few sisters got together and they went to a pottery class. I was not invited, but nonetheless. But uh, they went to a pottery class and they, you know, did some pottery. And this here, it started off as clay. And then this had to go through fire, had to go through twice to go through fire. To be able to become this beautiful mug that it is today. And other stories, you think about the, you know, 
I'm going to put this over here because I know I'm going to, what's going to happen. I'm going to kick it. But nonetheless, you think about when we read in the scriptures about whether it be God being the potter. And yet sometimes we go through different certain situations that God will work to produce something that, you know, may look unfavorable. But to be able to shape it into something that looks much better. Even when we think about our own character. Sometimes things happen, and again, sometimes we don't know the reasons why. But God can work in a difficult situation for whatever reason it happened to be able to produce something great in us. You know, if you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 7, and we will go back to the book of Genesis in just a moment. But Acts chapter 7, in verse 9, it says, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave in Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler of Egypt and all of the palace. You know, this is something that happened many years ago. Stephen is about to be stoned to death. And he makes a reference here to Joseph. And he says that God was with him. You know, when people reflected on and thought about Joseph, they thought about how God was with him. You know, I don't know about you, but when I think back as to when my time on this earth has ended, you know, you think about how you want to be remembered. When Joseph, people reflected on Joseph, what they did see and what they noticed about Joseph, that God was with him. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. And now we'll take a look at uh, the story of Joseph and God working together. And so I'm not going to read verse by verse. I am going to read parts of it. I'm going to jump ahead because we don't have time to study out in detail the character of Joseph because we'd be here much longer than today. But in verse 2 it says that Joseph was a, a young man of 17 years old. As it now says, Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Oh, Joseph. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. I think Joseph may have had a little difficulty reading the room. <laughs> but nonetheless, he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father and well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, 
What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. You know, we see here his dream, not very well received by his brothers. And so now, fast forward ahead, Joseph's brothers are now working in the fields. And Joseph goes out to look for them. Maybe he wanted to spend time with his siblings. So now verse 17, so Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in a distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes our dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, which is a pit, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they traveled down, as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. After all, he is our brother our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brother pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't here. Where can I turn now? When they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in blood, they took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It's my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. You know, I'm not sure what kind of family you came from. But here are some family challenges. You know, my siblings and I have three siblings. You know, we had our sibling rivalry. But this takes sibling rivalry to a new level. So, of course, the father, think about uh, Joseph, a part of a large family. You know, he's the 11th son of Jacob. And Joseph was firstborn son with his wife, favorite wife, Rachel. 
And so we learned about the character of Jacob, so I won't uh, talk too much about him. But we do see here that Jacob loved Joseph more than the other sons. And the father's favoritism of Joseph was obvious. And the father gave him a richly ornamented robe. And I was telling my wife that I was going to bring in something that could represent what a ro royalty robe may have looked like. And I was going to bring in my leaf jersey. But then as I was reflecting on what happened to Joseph, I thought maybe I shouldn't. So I decided not to bring it. But nonetheless, Joseph obviously showed favoritism and it was evident. And Joseph, again, would have been the one, I mean, Jacob showed favoritism to Joseph, and it was evident. So you think about today, Joseph would be the one in the family who probably got the, the new latest iPhone, right. when all the other siblings have to use the landline. Right. Anybody here not familiar with the landline? <laughs> just, just, just making sure, okay. So out of it, he gets a new iPhone, everyone else, they have to use the landline and share. Or Joseph gets the new car, he gets to travel while the other kids get a Presto bus pass. Yes. That's how it is. Or Joseph gets a Leaf jersey and the other friends have to share a Habs jersey. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So, when you think about, uh, again, the favoritism was obvious. The siblings, at first, it says they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. That's how deep that hatred was. Then Joseph has a dream, and the brothers become jealous, didn't celebrate with them, but they hated him all the more. And his brothers wanted to kill him, but instead, they sold him as a slave to Egypt to make a buck off of him. And then to top it off, they cover the robe in blood to go show the father so that the father would believe that his son died. You know, we do see the, the callousness of heart, the hatred, the jealousy, wanting to kill the brother, that this hatred grew and grew until eventually they sold him off. But we also think about Joseph. You know, Joseph was 17 years old, well, about 10 years older than I am today, nonetheless. <laughs> but Joseph, we do see to some degree an immaturity about Joseph. You know, couldn't keep his mouth shut, maybe when he probably should have. Didn't pick up on different cues as to kind of read the room and have some social awareness. You know, in the musical, there's a part that says, uh, I am handsome, I'm smart. I'm a, wor I'm a working I'm a walking work of art. That's how he's portrayed in the musical. But I think we can look at Joseph, that to some degree, Joseph may have been a little bit prideful. You know, possibly, again, could have thought himself as better than his brothers, and also not afraid to, to tell them. And maybe wanted his siblings to admire him. Insensitive towards his brother, Spoiled, flaunted as many coats, color of many coats. And his dream did not start off 
the way that he probably expected. Where Joseph went to a valley where he found his brothers, then ending up in a pit, then being sold to slavery. There is no way that someone can just imagine that possibly happening. But what we see about Joseph, and what we'll learn about the character, continue to study about the character of Joseph, that can bring encouragement to all of us, that whoever you become is not determined by your past, is not determined by your family background or your past or circumstances, but it's determined by God and the choices we make that are inconsistent with God's will. You know, Joseph lived in a family of lying, deceit, manipulation, jealousy, hatred during the foundational years of his life. And for the rest of his life, he could have blamed his family, he could have lived with a, a victim mindset, and he could have let his past experience define him. And you can't, and again, you don't go through this, what he had to experience at a young age, and not experience some wounds. And you do see that later on in Joseph's life. And we could be wounded by our past. We could be wounded by different things even happening in our current circumstances. But that does not have to define who we become. Because, as the title talks about, God was with Joseph. And whatever we go through as disciples, we always have to remember that God is with us. And with God, there is always hope. You know, what happens next for Joseph? Let's jump ahead down to um, Genesis 39. So now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who one of the Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Very wise move on his part. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Long story short, she continues to pursue him, and Joseph continues to say no. 
and refuses and even refuses to be around her. Potiphar's wife then lies about Joseph and says that he tried to seduce her. And Joseph is thrown in prison. And I'm not sure what may have been going through Joseph's mind. He probably realized you know, there may be some kind of consequences to saying no. That if he says no to her, this could possibly happen. But he still said no. And Joseph, you notice his response. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Not Potiphar. But how could he do such a wicked thing and sin, about, sin against God? When we think about Joseph, that Joseph's love for God far outweighed any consequences. And we do see that with Joseph, that faithfulness was a two-way street. That God was with Joseph. God was faithful to Joseph. But Joseph was faithful to God. And Joseph, with his limited spiritual background and his dysfunctional family background, still had the strong convictions to do what is right because he knew that's what God wanted of him. Joseph loved God, and we see that Joseph was conscious of God. And as you see, that shaped the choices that Joseph made. You know, something just to think about and to reflect on. You know, what are we saying no to because of our love for God? What are we saying yes to because of our love for God? You know, through the highs and lows, we do see here in the character of Joseph that Joseph was devoted to God. And then we see what happens to Joseph. Joseph's master took him put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. You know, at every turn, things don't seem to go Joseph's way. Family struggle, sold to slavery, falsely accused, thrown in prison. One challenge after the next. But he still stayed devoted to God to do what was right because God was with him. You know, I always wonder if Joseph ever thought, you know, God, why is this happening to me? You know, why are all these things happening to me? And I'm sure with what he went through, that thought must have crossed his mind. The Lord is with Joseph again and again. You know, in different seasons of my life as a disciple, I became a disciple at around 20 years old. If I tell you how old, I'm a, how, how old of a disciple I am, you're going to kind of gauge how old I am. But nonetheless, about 20 years old. 
And I remember hearing my newfound excitement. I learned about Jesus on the cross and said, I'm, I'm going to become a disciple. Became a disciple, was baptized. Amen to that. Shared my excitement with my friends. Not go over very well. Some of them were not very happy with my change in lifestyle. And so, just to give you an example, we, when the time when I became a disciple, uh, we met at a place in Toronto called the Masonic Temple, Sunday mornings. But Saturday night, it was called the concert hall. And that's where I was on Saturday nights at the concert hall. So coming there for church, and I was like, hmm, this is interesting. And so I would see my friends. They'd still go to the concert hall at nighttime. I'd be there at church on Sunday. And when they found out, oh, your church is at the concert hall, they were like, why don't you just still come out with us on Saturday night and just stay there and go to church Sunday morning? I was like, that doesn't quite work that way. And so, of course, you know, again, had to change how I, you know, changed a different lifestyle. And obviously it didn't go over well with them. And then even a friend of mine who, again, a friend of mine that we, you know, went to different parties together. And again, at that time, I was going to parties probably about four times a week. And I think my friends were not happy I was becoming a Christian. I think my parents were happy that, wow, Howard's no longer going out. He's going to church. He's safe. We don't have to worry about where he's going or what he's doing. But nonetheless, you know, they put things in my path to kind of get me to resort back to my old lifestyle. And, you know, again, because I worked with some of them, I was a student, working a part-time job, go to work. And then, you know, they would heckle, they would do different things at work. And again, during that time, I thought, okay, you know what? I wasn't expecting that, you know, this to be happening from some close friends. And so unfortunately, it made it very difficult to the point where, you know, I think we just need to take a break uh, from each other. And so I remember not too long after that, um, again, months later, after I was like, okay, now this seems to be all settled, um, going to church, and I remember having a conversation with one of my friends, uh, the person who invited me out to church. Uh, we were having a conversation on a Friday night. I said, okay, let's, let's make sure the next day, let's um, grab, a, grab lunch together, let's talk. And then what happened, the Saturday came, didn't, uh, didn't hear anything, didn't hear anything back, received a phone call that um, this particular friend that invited me up to church was about six months as a disciple. Uh, one who invited me and also a mentor who was mentoring me, uh, they, they died. And they died in a way they got hit by a train. And I remember thinking about at that particular time, that this is not supposed to happen. Because I'm a Christian now. And so the idea of having to suffer and loss, for me, again, I was a young Christian. For me, I was like, you know what? This is not supposed to happen. I'm now a Christian now. And then I was reminded by those who were kind of involved in my life, and they said that uh, becoming a Christian does not exempt you from difficulties. In my mind, at time going, I guess I missed the fine print. But they mentioned that we're not exempt from difficulties, but that God is with us through Amen. the difficulties. And he was and has been through um, in different stages and seasons of life. 
And I do remember as that particular season and then years later when my wife and I uh, got married, we're like, okay, great, married, now we're going to start a family. And not happen the way that we expected. And having to go through, you know, disappointment, struggle, until we adopted our, our wonderful son, Eric. I was going to have Eric join the service because he likes hearing his name, but nonetheless, he was telling me, when I was telling him, oh yeah, Eric, you know, when favoritism, like for example, giving the iPhone to someone else, someone else getting an iPhone, and Eric's like, well, you love me, so I should have an iPhone. And I was like, I think you're missing the point of what my message is about, but nonetheless. Um, so then, so I, again, we were in this process of, a, uh, of adoption. And I remember mentioning to my mom, because she's like, oh, when, when are you planning to have kids? And she knew that, you know, we had w waited quite some time. And prior to our, uh, adopting our son, I mentioned we're going to adopt. She's so happy, so excited. This is going to be a new chapter for your life. Only months later, my mom uh, had a brain hemorrhage. And then she was in a coma for five years until she, until she passed. And so, again, you know, again, I know a number of you are aware of that. Um, as we were going to doctor's meetings, traveling back and forth to Toronto, uh, stress to the point where every time I'd, my sibling would call me, I'd be like, I don't want to answer the phone because I'm not sure what they're going to have to say. And so then five years passed, and you know, do my best to okay, pray, believe, be hopeful. While talking to doctors, they're like, well, you need to be realistic. You need to understand this is what could happen. Uh, we need to realize uh, where her health is at. So all of that, going back and forth, was very difficult. And when she passed, for a moment I was in shock. And I remember thinking, going, this was five years of my life. I remember praying to God, saying, God, if, you were gonna, if this was going to be the end result... Why did I have to go through five years of struggle if this was going to be the end result? And then someone at the funeral was trying to offer me some encouraging words and said, you know what? God has something planned in all of this. That God is going to use this in some way. And at the time, I didn't want to hear it. I even told my God, you know what? Yeah, I, I know you're trying to help. But right now, I just don't see that. And I was not ready to hear it at the moment. But think about for yourself. Yeah. I know that some of you have you know, lost loved ones, whether it be family challenges, kids, work, no work, school, loss, health. You know, a lot of different things hurt relationships that we do struggle through. But what I've come to learn is that, you know what, sometimes God doesn't make things very clear as to why things happen or what he's trying to accomplish. But one thing I've been reminded time and time again is that God is always faithful. He's always faithful. He's always here for me. He's always here for you and loves us and is faithful to us. You know, the wounds from situation may not be caused by God, but God can work through those different wounds to produce something great. You know, I believe that, again, God worked through Joseph many different ways.
But let's continue as we begin to kind of circle uh, to the end. So just in summary, um, you can write down Genesis chapter 42, 26, 1 to 26. We're not going to look at it. Um, we'll look at a few verses. So during a famine, Joseph's brothers journeyed to Egypt to buy food. The one selling all the grain was Joseph, but they didn't recognize Joseph at first. This is the first time in about 17 years. He pretends to be a stranger. And while Joseph is in their presence, the brothers freely share with one another. And in verse 21, verse 24, it says, they said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Then Reuben replied, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. You know, I wonder how much that was stewing with him. So, you know, I told you so. Now we must give an account for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep. But they came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. You know, here we see what's going on in the heart of Joseph. That he began to weep as his brothers were talking. Probably all those hurtful memories surfacing as to what happened. So now let's jump ahead in chapter 45 where Joseph reveals himself. And they're terrified. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Just in case you forgot. <laughs> and now do not be distressed and do not be angry at yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there'll be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Fast forward to verse chapter 50, verse 15 to 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God, of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I'm in the am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them 
and spoke kindly to them. Again, the family relocated to Egypt, and Joseph took care of them. Joseph's father dies, and Joseph promises to provide for them and their families. You know, some things that we learn here and see about Joseph, as we've already been studying this morning. But here we see that Joseph has a godly perspective towards his brothers. It could have been bitter, vengeful, and where revenge was in his grasp. But he did not choose revenge. You know, revenge is the natural response at times. But of course not the spiritual response. You know, the rules of the world are, you know, get even. The rules of the kingdom to give grace. And he now had the power of of their life and death in his hands. And he could have killed them or thrown them in prison. But instead, he believed he forgives them. You know, someone once said a quote. They said, you know, how to be a slave? Find someone and hate them. How to be a slave? Find someone and hate them. And Joseph spent enough time in slavery and maybe didn't want to be a slave again. But also Joseph had a godly perspective on why things happened. We said, you intended to harm me. And very evident, that was very clear, their intention. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Amazing. Everything that happened, all the different seasons of Joseph's life, were all part of a chapter of the story, but not the end of the story. And God's plans at times are not always consistent with our plans. And even when we don't know the why, God still works in different situations. Yeah. You know, for Joseph, this, and for him, it was, he drew a conclusion that, you know, all this happened because of this. Sometimes the answer is unknown. Sometimes we may not know why things happen until we have that conversation with God face to face. But it's important to be able to still trust God. You know, I've looked back, and as I shared about the, um, the struggle with my mom and what she went through, when I reflect back, although at the time I didn't want to be able to look at things a particular way, when I look back and think about during those different times, you know, I was able to experience God's comfort and God's peace in a way that I'd never experienced before. Where there were times that I went and cried out to God, and when, when I surrendered to God, I experienced a peace that I could not manufacture on my own. That was very clear that it was from God. And things happen in life for a reason, and whatever it is you're going through, I, don't, I can't say this is why this particular thing has happened. And sometimes we may not know the why. But one thing we can be reassured 
is that God is with us through the struggle. God is faithful with us through the struggle. And God will produce something from that struggle. But I do believe that God does not waste a struggle. That God uses that, whatever we go through, even though it may happen for different reasons, that God still can work in that situation to be able to produce something out of that. You know, no matter where we are at here this morning, God is faithful through the good times and through the struggles. Joseph was a man who faced challenges but was able to rise above them because God was with him. And God was with Joseph, and as a result, that shaped Joseph's choices. And Joseph was a man who, who loved God and was faithful to God. Joseph had a godly perspective that looked at whatever he went through through the lens of a faithful and loving God, and he trusted God. You know, as we live our lives as disciples of Jesus, let us do what we can to look at God, to look at things that happen in our life through the lens of a faithful and loving God to see that God is with us. Amen.